Well, hello, friends. Welcome to Enough for Today for Friday, January the 27th. Um, hope you've had a good week. We have. It's been a full week and a great week. We're excited about the weekend. So this Sunday, we are starting back into the Gospel of John. So if you really want to get ready for this Sunday, read chapters 1 through 11 of the Gospel of John, just to refresh your memory of what is this Gospel, who's writing it, why is he writing it. Remember chapter 1 is uh, sort of the, the, the prelude, the introduction to the whole book. Chapter 20, I'm sorry, chapter 1 is the prelude to the whole book. Chapter 21 is sort of a, a conclusion chapter, uh, kind of a prologue. Um, but John introduces Jesus in chapter 1, and then he begins to connect Jesus in all the ways he introduced him in chapter 1. Uh, love, light, Lord, Lamb, um, in all the ways he it described him to be glorious, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, truth, and all the ways that he called us to obedience and receiving him, uh, I'm sorry, belief and receiving Jesus. He then unfolded in chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, raising Lazarus. And now we pick it up in chapter 12. 12 to 20 is his last week. And three or four of those chapters are one night. So it's amazing how John now zeroes in, zooms in in this book to just a few days' time. And uh, I think it's going to be a wonderful journey and a great study for us. So if you're not local, then join us on the live stream and we'll have a great time. Psalm 71 is our text. We read it all yesterday, and this is an anonymous psalm. We don't know who wrote it particularly. There's little breadcrumb cruise, uh, clues, sorry, I'm having trouble with my words this morning. Um, little breadcrumbs, though, this, uh, this man talks about uh, old age. So perhaps he's coming into his retirement. Uh, Levites who led worship and uh, who uh, Levite probably wrote this psalm, uh, they served from 25 to 50. So maybe he's anticipating life after his time as a worship leader. Um, interesting thought about this psalm is that he borrows some text. He borrows, the first three verses are uh, lifted from chapter 31, verses 1 through 3, which we've already studied. He also borrows from, um, oh, let's see here, verse 22, verse 31, verse 35 and 40. Uh, or psalm, and maybe that's psalm, I'm looking at, at Wearsby's notes, psalm 22, 31, 35 and 40. Um, have little pieces throughout this psalm. Now, I'll tell you what that reminds me of. First of all, that was common for psalmists to do. They grew up in ancient Israel singing these songs, learning these truths, just like our kids do every Sunday. Well, then as they became songwriters and worship leaders, they would, they would grab these phrases to work into their own songs. And isn't that what we see today? We see songwriters uh, writing new songs based on old hymns or maybe adding choruses to old hymns. And uh, if you want to know, is that an okay practice to do? Well, they did it in the Psalms. So uh, apparently there's biblical, providential, inspired precedent. Um, But anyway, the psalmist is really embedding himself in God. Now, let me tell you a little bit of the background that I agree with Warren Wearsby on, I think is is interesting and interesting to consider when you read a psalm like this. 
Ancient Israel's life with God was up and down and all over the map. Under David, they were a nation that revered and served God in unity and with passion and devotion. Uh, Solomon began to dilute that by allowing his many wives to bring in their paganism. So you, if you were growing up in Jerusalem, and if you were uh, in any connectivity to Solomon's vast family, I don't know where he even put all those thousand women, but if you, uh, if you were in that proximity, then there was, a, there was Temple Mount behind the palace of the king, and then right across the valley, up on the top of the hill in the distance, was the temple to the pagan gods. And it was like you could, you could choose uh, which, which way you're going to go today. Um, and it was this pluralistic, uh, your truth, you know, whatever you want, whatever gods you want, just make up your own gods, bring your own gods to the table. Uh, it was a sad day because Solomon's reign then led to Rehoboam and Jeroboam, which split the kingdom. Jeroboam in the north took the northern kingdom into deep paganism, and they never recovered. Uh, they were overrun by the Assyrians. They could have had a very different story. And then Israel in the south, or Judah in the south, um, under the reign of Rehoboam, they, they, they began their downward spiral even further. And they have good kings and bad kings. For instance, Josiah was a good king that tore down the altars to Baal in the high places and stopped the, 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 the pagan worship practices, even sacrificing their own children, sad to think. Um, but there were many kings that uh, promoted that pagan worship and that idolatry. So all that to say this, the temple worship went through high times and low times, just like churches today go through thriving times and then some churches go through difficult valleys. And, and you see sometimes, depending on leadership and, and the focus of the people or the heart of the people, you see the ups and downs. Well, nationally that happened to Israel. And so being a spiritual leader, being a worship leader, being a Levite or a priest, was not always a celebrated thing, and it wasn't always a, an easy thing. <clears throat> there were times that they were uh, tempted to, uh, to compromise, that they were pressed even, maybe, to accommodate false teaching and paganism and false prophets. There were times that they were pressed, probably by even leadership, to bend the rules and to, um, to distort what they were called to do before the Lord. So here's a Levite likely who we don't know where he is or what situation he's in, but we know where his heart is. We know from the inside out he is determining that uh, he's going he's gonna to go with God. And I think that's a really important lesson for us today. Well, let's read the first few verses. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. That concept of being put to confusion is, is interesting. It's to be put to shame or disgraced or to feel shame. Um, I think that the psalmist is saying, Lord, I am yours and you are mine and I don't ever want to be ashamed of that. I don't ever want to be lost in shame or disgrace of being yours. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace that. I'm going to wear that. Um, and don't let me ever be confused about it. Uh, don't ever let shame or disgrace invade my psyche to where I have any doubt or hesitation or confusion. I want to I drive my stakes deep in you. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. 
Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline thine ear unto me and save me. So let's pause here today and let's think about these phrases. First of all, the resolve, the introduction. And I believe all the psalm flows out of this first phrase. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. I think you can connect everything he's going to say to this phrase. I think it all comes out of this. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. So let me just commend to you, my friend, in times of confusion, in times of temptation, in times when you're tempted to be ashamed or you're being scorned or mocked for your faith or tempted to compromise or bend uh, your ethics, your honesty, your integrity with the Lord, um, look up, drive the stake deep, God, I'm trusting in you. In, in this situation, in all of my life, in the past, in the present, in the future, this will always be true of me. I'm putting my trust in you. Let me never be put to confusion. And then he says, deliver me in thy righteousness. Now, this is again where we see the breadcrumbs of the gospel, the principles, I, I should say, of the gospel. You know, the gospel is both a storyline and a set of principles, okay? And... Um, I don't want you to get this confused. When we say the gospel is all throughout scripture, we mean that in both ways, okay? Sometimes there's storylines that point us to the ultimate storyline of Jesus and his death and burial and resurrection. And other times there's principles that point us to the holiness of God, the failure and sin of man, the provision of mercy through his substitutionary atonement, the Messiah, Jesus, the Lamb of God, and then the extended grace and mercy of God that can be received by faith uh, and new birth that happens, new life, being brought into the family of God, being brought into the heart of God. All those gospel principles of that we call redemption or salvation or being made righteous, uh, being delivered from sin into God's righteousness, all those principles trace all the way through the Bible and we see them again here in, verses, in verse 2. Deliver me in thy righteousness. That is essentially gospel. God, I'm not righteous or powerful enough to deliver myself, so it's going to require your righteousness, your righteous intervention, your provision of righteousness. Cause me to escape. Now, we don't know specifically the circumstances he wants to escape, but in big picture, again, the gospel brings an escape from every bad thing into the heart of God. And then he says, incline thine ear unto me and save me. So again, in thee do I put my trust, deliver me in thy righteousness, listen to me, hear me, and save me. Those are all gospel prayers. But beyond that, they're all daily believing, walking forward with Jesus prayers as well. So a good way to go through this day and this weekend and every day is to just look up again and say, Lord, I'm trusting you today. Lead me with clarity. Deliver me today from unrighteous things. Uh, cause me to escape, save me, and let me trust deeply in you. So thanks for joining me today, friend. Happy Friday. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Sunday or Monday.